Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigaloff, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigaloff was either off duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigaloff was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigaloff. Well, I have a great pleasure to meet. To, to speak with another great friend throughout this entire process i have met people that i've been able to call friend just at the first meeting and and mr todd calendars especially one of those people he has amazing thoughts and ideas and he's been fighting hard for the military since the very beginning the way i first came in contact with him is i saw his brief from the robert v austin case i started calling the lawyers on at the bottom of the paper and he was the first one and he got back to me and he he liked my idea of how i used the medical exemption and i can't tell you how he used it but it's it's in use now um, and the reason i can't tell you is because of these um, very silly rules that the military has about how i cannot speak about a a lawsuit that is against the u.s government but you can read between the lines and figure out what i'm saying so mr todd calendar it's a pleasure to have you on and to talk with you again uh, how are things going yeah. for you? Likewise, Doc. It's always a pleasure. You know, you've been instrumental in our case. So we've been working together for a good long time. I, I think our case is actually going very well in, in many respects. I don't have huge faith that we're actually going to get anywhere with the court itself. Um, and I, I'd like to go into that in a, bit, in a minute. But, but more importantly, it's the court of public opinion that seems to matter, Doctor. It's uh, all of us exposing the truth and, and speaking it and shining the light on um, all the darkness and the lies, and I think we're making a difference. And, and speaking of the darkness and the lies and spreading the truth and changing the public's opinion, I recently came out with a video uh, that this man go, that goes by Chad, and you've spoken to him a few times, and, and Chad was on the phone, and I encourage everyone to go back and listen to that, and was on the phone with Pfizer. It took him about two hours to get this, like, nine-minute recording. And they say, they tell him that the lot number... Uh, Foxtrot Whiskey 1331 was manufactured in France. Now, what are the implications of that? Because I've, I've had some people who, who don't quite understand the implications of that, even though, you know, I did my best at explaining that. Can you tell yeah. us what that means? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and it's really important. Um, so I hope people will, will understand this and let it resonate with them. So by way of example, our, our case got kicked up to the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, Robert V. Austin. And in our brief, we attacked the whole idea of emergency use authorization. We attacked the, the government um, stating that a biologic license approval is the same thing as an approved vaccine um, in relation to Pfizer. Um, at that time, now it's Moderna too. None of those are actually approved, quote unquote, licensed vaccines under U.S. law because they didn't finish um, parts of their their test required protocols under the law um, and they aren't going to finish them for a while including the institutional review boards in fact one of them never got started the board members kept just um, leaving they resigned so um, we knew that there was no comirnaty we had also come to understand that um, vials of quote-unquote comirnaty were, were being delivered to various military bases and in the reply brief the Department of Justice filed in our case, they actually made the statement, um, a very bold one, that effectively said, your case uh, is invalid. You don't have jurisdiction or standing anymore 
because your case is premised on the idea that these are emergency use authorization shots, which require informed consent. That no longer is an issue because we've been now providing Comirnaty on, on the military basis. So go away. You, you don't have a case or controversy. Um, despite the fact that we alleged and can prove that um, there is no such thing for purposes of the law. And one of the things that we lay out in there is that um, one of the reasons why you, you, there isn't a license one is because they are still changing the ingredients. We are still in a phase three clinical trial and always have been from the time they launched this whole thing. It's a giant experiment. And according to the law, the regulations as it is, they can keep changing the agreements in proportion or what the actual ingredients are all the way until they actually you know, get their, their final approval. So we remain in this phase three clinical trial. We don't know what's in these shots actually. Uh, for a lot of reasons, including the fact that these are messenger RNA technologies, which means that the, the little bombers with the efficacious part of, of this drug is proteins or nucleotides, oligonucleotides, mRNA, synthetic DNA, designed to create a synthetic reaction, a synthetic DNA in people's bodies. They call it the spike protein. Um, however, we actually really don't know what those proteins are, what the contents of those little lipid nanoparticle bombers are. They could be changed, and now the FDA has voted to not ask what these contents are. Um, so until there is an actual final version of this, then all of this is an experiment. By delivering you know, what they call Comirnaty onto U.S. military bases is a fraud. And the reason for that is because they're bringing in European-made, European-licensed Comirnaty that has nowhere near the same protections um, that the FDA requires. The U.S. citizens, U.S. persons, the United States itself, right, is protected by these regulations. And instead, what they're doing is giving us a cheap, su cheap substitute. It's like, you know, promising that you're going to get a, a, a sports car, right? But in reality, they deliver a Pinto. They, they, they both have engines. They both got wheels. But they are two different things entirely. That's what's happening. And it is a fraud. One thing I want to draw attention to is messenger RNA, mRNA, and mod RNA, or nucleoside-modified RNA. Now, um, I feel like this isn't getting the traction that it should, because so often in, in Pfizer's literature, Moderna's literature, they, they use the, the shorthand mRNA, and they put a little asterisk. And then you go look at that asterisk down at the bottom, and it says, nucleoside-modified RNA. And... Yeah. And from what I can understand, that means they changed a nucleoside, one of the ribonucleic acids in there, to something that we cannot break down. And so yeah. it potentially could stay in us, making us make whatever it encodes for, for an undetermined amount of There's a lot of evidence time. to support that. And my understanding is that that other M for modified, not messenger RNA, is it, it denotes that these are, in fact, synthetic. These are man-made RNA, not, not nature. What are the implications of that? Because I've heard you talk about that many times, and I'd love for my audience to hear you say that. Yeah. So one of the things we're coming to find is, is despite the protest that this is not gene therapy, this is not gene deletion, genetic engineering, they absolutely are. And the, the follow-on, the, the backstop to that was the, the DOD, the government generally, CDC, FDA, saying, oh, well, even if it is gene modification, it won't modify the, the user. It, it might have some heritage issue you know, going forward. That's actually all been disproven. The, these gene modification shots, injectables, are modifying people in vivo right now. 
And you need to look no further than their own propaganda that says we are programming people to produce spike proteins. Those spike proteins are synthetic. And one of the issues we raised in, in our case is because of all of those things, because it's using mRNA, um, the vaccinated people, at least the synthetic version, the synthetic parts of them actually belongs to the patent holders. And there's a case on this, molecular pathology versus myriad genetics. It's a Supreme Court case in 2013. And that's what the holding is, is that the synthetic genome, in other words, the vax people actually belong to the patent holders. And we said to the court, if that's the case, then it violates the 13th Amendment of our Constitution that outlaws slavery, otherwise known as owning people. Um, interestingly enough, when we filed that um, with the appellate court, the Department of Justice did not deny that. They did not address it at all. I deem that to be an admission. So now we have slavery to add to the, the list of all the other things that go with this, including homicide, genocide, you know, intentional battery. One thing I read that that brief that um, was that case you're talking about, and one thing that I thought was interesting is they said that a claim that you're making is that the long-standing medical exemptions are no are no longer um, allowed, and and they said that that's not true. Well, if you're talking about the Patent Act itself, that, that specifically states that you can't um, you can't own humans, the Patent Act effectively says that, um, and that you can't patent creations of God. That may be so. However, the the patents in this particular case are world patents. You know, there, there might be some some U.S. Well, version. Wait, I'm kind of going a different. No, the different direction of um, you had said that the the medical exemptions, so the religious exemptions, the uh, medical the medical yes. exemptions, um, you you claim that those have been removed, and they claim, oh, they they uh, they're still standing. Don't worry about that. What's well, a joke? Right? In, in fact, there's Coker v. Austin is a good case that actually prevailed on this very point, whereby um, under AR four zero five six two, it's an it's an army regulation, but every branch has the exact same law. There are actually four separate exemptions to vaccination, um, even if the, the vaccines are on the approved list, meaning you know, things like childhood vaccines, mumps, measles, rubella, whatever. Service members still have a right to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to take those on, for instance, uh, religious exemption grounds. My, my spirituality, my belief prohibits me from taking these for whatever reason. There have been hundreds of thousands of those exemptions filed in the DOD, literally hundreds of thousands. To my understanding, two in the entire in the entirety of the Department of Defense were granted. Um, other exemptions sh should have applied as well. Um, I'll give you an example that, that somebody's allergic to the ingredients. There's a medical reason why people can't take the shots. We have pilots who suffered, you know, their their first shot, and doctors opine today if they take another shot, it will kill them because they're allergic to the ingredients. Polyethylene glycol, the base components to antifreeze is what's in these shots. And in the case of Pfizer, seemingly it's a third of the entire total volume. And Moderna, it's half. Either way, it's injuring people by itself. And yet, the DOD stands firm. No exemption for you. Get the shot or you're out. The sad part about this is we've also got pilots. The, the, this is what they do for a living. And they went and took their flight physicals for, uh, for civilian flight in case they lose their career. And they failed them. In fact, my understanding is 30% of all pilots who took the shots have now failed their flight physicals. So they're put in this impossible choice. Do I take the shot and die because the military tells me to? 
uh, and, and thereby keep my career if I survive it, or do I get kicked out for refusing to take this experiment um, and I'll never be able to fly in the civilian world. So these exemptions are, are a joke in many respects, even though they are longstanding and natural immunity being one of them has been in the U.S. military regulations since, two, I'm sorry, make that 1906, if memory serves, well over 100 years. Never before have we had this before. They, they are not accepting the exemptions. They're breaking their own law, and they don't seem to care at all. Yeah, in that, that Coker v. Austin, there's a physician who entered a declaration in that uh, who, uh, who clearly outlines the shadow policy that's going on. Is that not correct? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. The, early on in this, we, we heard statements from commanding generals stating that they want a, um, a needle in every arm. That we need the data. And that's actually what, what we're seeing here. Everybody has this false impression that this is Pfizer and Moderna driving this. Um, it isn't. The U.S. Department of Defense, by and through its 44,000 participant study, C459-1001, um, was the, the driving force behind these shots. This is actually a DOD initiative, and they contracted Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson & Johnson in order to create these technologies to carry out what they have already been doing since 2005. That's gene modification. If you look at the fifth uh, generation warfare, um, there are many treatises, articles on this. NASA Langley put out one talking about warfare in 2005. You will see the genetic modification, um, human modification for super soldiers and other purposes was envisioned back in 2001, 2005. Our department, I'm sorry, the um, yes, the Department of Justice actually, the, the the uh, attorney general had actually granted by memorandum the Department of Defense waivers um, for informed consent to, so that they could effectively fool service members into becoming laboratory animals. And I don't want the listener to take my word or Todd's word for this. What I want you to go do is go to the U.S. Patent Office. It's very easy to do. You click on quick search and you put in human and then a space, all caps, the word and, A-N-D, and then you put another space, and you put in augmentation. And click on the first few ones that show up. And look at the pictures they have. And read some of the captions. And you will be horrified at what you see. Absolutely horrified. And we don't have to guess, doctor. We know this is happening. Pfizer has effectively admitted that. You might have seen their post-marketing um, paper that had a, an appendix of 1,291 serious adverse of, of special interest, right? This came out under a Freedom of Information Act request. They didn't want to disclose it, but they did. And therein, you find, for example, the number one serious adverse event is uh, the 1P36 gene deletion syndrome. That's a congenital disease, yet it's actually a side effect of these shots. And now talking to most every doctor, everyone that I can certainly think of, including flight surgeons, will tell me that the number one symptom of that disease is the loss, the atrophy of the frontal cortex. And there are pilots that can't get through the flight program because they've lost their ability to think. This is universal now. So we know that this genetic modification in this particular case, this gene deletion, is part of the CRISPR technology in these shots. And that was one thing that I spoke about. I was speculating quite a bit. I think it was episode nine. And I talked about, well, they could have hidden CRISPR in there. And then about a week later, I got a white paper document. And 
and it outlines, and if you look back at my bioweapon part one uh, for the listener, you can see how I put that document behind me and how they, they uncoded what that RNA is supposed to encode for. So RNA, it's think of it as like a as like a hidden message. And when you, you figure out what amino acids it makes you make and then what the protein is, um, can you talk a little about that white paper? You know, I actually don't know which one that is. I would have to it's take the, a look at it. Ex- it's the CRISPR experiment. It's the one that shows that they um, um, took the RNA, they decoded it, they looked at two different um, oh. uh, databases to show. Are you familiar I with think I do know. The, the CRISPR, it's CRISPR-9, is that what it's called? Yes, sir. And then you found CRISPR-9 yeah. in there, then they found gRNA, three different strains of gRNA that seemed to go to, I think it was uh, chromosome uh, 19 in one place and chromosome 5 in two places. Actually, I was going to ask you about that. Um, my understanding is that now we have patients post-vax that have showed up with a third strand of DNA. Is that your understanding? I have not heard or seen that, but that would be terrifying. Yeah, that's my understanding. And um, that some of this DNA, in fact, has changed its base properties to graphene hydroxide. And now we're actually seeing people with sheaths, what looks like a second set of blood veins or vessels that um, they're spreading throughout the body and self-assembling. And actually, that's well supported in some of the scientific papers that, that we've dug out, including the one from Charles Lieber. I don't know if you saw that one, but... Effectively, in 2011, he found out how to atomically weld a transistor onto these very little lipid nanoparticles we're talking about, thereby turning them into autonomous bots, and they're self-assembling. And my understanding is that's part of this whole process. Which would go along with why the U.S. government needed to redact certain aspects of the lipid nanoparticle as B4, and that redaction code um, indicates that it it is a state-of-the-art U.S. weapon system. Yeah, that's right. And that actually appears in some of these treatises I'd referenced before. The the Chinese and the United States have been um, discussing this, in my view, collaborating in some respects on what they call the fifth generation warfare. And I don't think that's by coincidence that here we have 5G in terms of EMF radiation for the cell service. And um, what's interesting about it is they, they, they um, hypothecate, they, they state that once the, the hardware is installed in these people, and I think that's exactly what's happening right now, it's a hardware installation, that in order to, re- to remain competitive on the battlefield, each of these governments with their own militaries will have to do effectively software upgrades. And I've actually heard Bill Gates talk about that. One of the interesting parts about these shots is that we know now that they included three separate HIV proteins into the shots for the purpose of dismantling people's autoimmune systems so they could actually slip these little bomber nanoparticles inside the cells to deliver their payloads. And now what we see that happens to, to coincide very much with this hypothesis on fifth generation warfare, that Moderna has now launched their HIV vaccine. It seems as though this is now a monthly shot. So you give somebody HIV, in order for them to stay alive, they got to get this monthly shot. It so happens that we have now no idea what is inside these lipid nanoparticles because the FDA says they don't, they don't care. They don't want us to know. Um, and my suspicion is that this is the, the upgrades, these monthly or periodic upgrades that are necessary to compete in the fifth generation warfare, just as described in these position papers. It's interesting because in in my medical exemption, which I can talk about, I, I'm clear to talk about medical exemption. I 
cannot talk about the affidavit that I provided for you and your Robert v. Austin, so I won't talk about that affidavit. But in my medical exemption, the reason I wrote it was because if you look at the material safety data sheets and you look at the manufacturer's uh, print up on these, it says clearly this product is used in BNT 162B2 or 161, yeah. whatever, you know, whatever it is, the Pfizer. And it says that this is for research use only. And then you look at the, um, that's, that's the print up for it from the company. Then you look at the material saf- safety data sheet and it says that a lot of the um, toxicology reports are classified. Well, who can classify these things if we're putting them in people? Well, governments yeah. can classify weapons. That's, that's, true. that's a bit of a jump. That's a bit of a jump, but but it's possible. And, <laughs> and, and, and it also clearly says that it's for research use only, and all safety right. relies on the end user, and the end user should be an experienced lab personnel, not yes. validated for medical use. And, and as I recall, there was also a, a reminder that informed consent has to be you know, obtained from each and every test subject and that they need to know they're a part of a test. You know, it's funny, Obama, I think maybe two months ago bragged, I saw the clip that, that uh, half the world had participated in this giant medical experiment that were all laboratory animals. And, and you're right, one of those components in, in um, Moderna, it was SM102 is the way they named it, including luciferase, which is by itself toxic to, to humans. And in the case of Pfizer, it was ALC3015. And just what you said, if you look at the safety data sheets for the ingredients, uh, aside from the luciferase, it actually states that they're toxic. And in one case, um, uh, fatal if it comes in contact with skin. And yet this is you know, amongst the key ingredients in these shots. And, and one of the things that I can talk about is my declaration that I made to uh, Senator Ron Johnson. And in there, I reference a uh, patent from 2014 where they talk about long chain um, car- hydrocarbons. And that was kind of before they had this nomenclature of lipid nanoparticles. It's the same thing, just different words because it was an older time frame. <clears throat> yeah, and in there, they it, say it, that. It... Sir, go ahead. Go ahead, Dr. Stone. And, and, and they say in there, in there that it causes. It causes a lot of problems. It suppresses the immune system. It causes disseminated intravascular coagulation, or DIC, so clots everywhere and then bleeding uncontrollably. It suppresses the immune system. So when you suppress the immune system, you get cancers. When you change the immune system, you can have autoimmune disorders. And it, yep. it, it activates this, this cancer gene. Yes. The RL cancer gene. My understanding is that the GP120 was one of the HIV proteins included in the shots, and its job is to um, to dismantle, to make the T cell, the killer T cells, ineffective. And and according to a lot of doctors, yourself included, you know this is what's giving rise to our huge cancer rates. People are, are showing up having never had cancer before, and within 30 days they have stage four cancer. From from cancer to stage four in 30 days, and it's just out of control. Well, and, and to kind of, this is anecdotal, so this is not a research paper, but I, I know a thoracic surgeon. And a thoracic surgeon, obviously, he's, he works inside of people's chests. And he's seen a lot of mediastinal or around-the-heart masses, much more, significantly more than he's seen in the past. And he's been doing this for quite a few years. And he, when he sends patients to the oncologist or the cancer doctor, it takes them a very long time to get in, much longer than it's ever taken in the past. Yeah. 
gets because there are so many of them. And, and by the way, it's young people too. It's, it's, this right. is not, yeah, these are all young people. These are all it, like mostly active duty and, and beneficiaries. Exactly that. And showing up with all kinds of other maladies that are extraordinarily unusual for, for 20 something year olds. In fact, um, one of our expert witnesses had told me about um, a 22 year old showed up with a stroke. Um, a 26 year old had showed up with blood clots in the spleen and the liver. Um, they didn't know the, that that was even a thing. Right? It's so rare right. to have blood clots at that age group anyway. Um, and, and now this is becoming daily. I don't think it's by coincidence that the, the world's governments, the propaganda machine, has now started telling people about sudden adult death syndrome. And they're blaming you know, these spontaneous deaths on climate change. The, the absurdity of this is amazing. They are so unwilling to, um, to attribute any of this to, um, to the shots. And I keep hearing the same mantra, which is just a joke. They say that correlation is not causation. Well, you know, in my world, um, probable cause, you know, for, for criminal charges leads exactly to that. There's a high uh, ratio of correlation. It, it relates directly to causation. And we're looking at this thing wrong, right? We're, we're stuck in the civil uh, court system. All of this is criminal. Doctor, I'm telling you, and I think you know, they knew they knew, they knew, they knew um, that these were deadly and dangerous. In fact, the FDA, in their famous page 16 document, before they granted the emergency use authorization, had on their famous page 16, it, it comes from their internal review, um, 16, if member rights, maybe it's more than that, actual maladies that they envisioned would happen if they move forward with the emergency use authorization, including pericarditis, myocarditis, strokes, all of the things we're talking about, they knew that those would happen because they had experienced it in their animal trials where all of the animals died. And yet they gave this license and yet our military rolled it out to all of their troops with full knowledge that this was going to cause these issues, deaths, injuries, God knows what else. Ownership. And wasn't there, wasn't there recently a whistleblower or a lawsuit that's bringing a claim against uh, Pfizer and they, Pfizer wants the claim thrown out because the government knew there was fraud. Yeah. It's like, well, the, the government was informed there was fraud, so no crime here. So no crime here. Yeah, and that's the other part of this, Doctor, is, is that this has been in preparation for a very, very long time. You can tell from the legal steps they had to take to protect themselves. And they've granted three separate forms of civil immunity, the CARES Act, the PREPs Act, the PREP Act and the CMS waiver program so that uh, everybody that's participating in this genocide thinks that they're free, at least from civil liability, including Pfizer itself, where if somebody's injured, they get pigeonholed in this vaccine court that doesn't pay anybody. But worse than that, doctor, in 2006, the Department of Justice created the Bureau of Justice, which effectively amalgamated law enforcement, public health, corrections, and the judiciary into one unit such that they have now given themselves effectively criminal immunity as well. So here we file these criminal complaints everywhere. Uh, thousands and thousands of them have been filed, not just the United States, but around the world. Nobody's willing to investigate these. Why? Because public health is part of law enforcement. They don't investigate themselves. So that what is to stop them, especially if you have hospitals who are being remunerated to kill their patients, right? Whether that's by using remdesivir, midazolam, ventilators, um, cocktails of, of narcotics, uh, you know, more of those have happened that I've been involved in than I would care to remember my lifetime, somewhere around a million in the last fiscal years, I understand it. And nobody can do anything about it because even when you file a suit, 
to, to get somebody out of the hospital or to try and stop this. And courts are throwing the cases out. I mean, that happened in our case. Tom Renz went to Senator Johnson's roundtable session and disclosed the DNA data. The next morning, our case was dismissed. We were at a setting hearing. We were getting ready to go to trial, effectively, at least the first one for the preliminary injunction. And we got kicked out that very next morning. And that's what we see over and over again. The judges are part of the issue. That's why I said they merged the judiciary, corrections, public health, and law enforcement. And in fact, when you look at the spending under the PREP Act, there's a special Marburg provision. Apparently, we had a Marburg incident already or, or pandemic because they already spent the money. Um, to, to build quarantine centers. And when you look at the model of these quarantine centers, sure enough, every one of them has all four of those things as part of it. They have offices for law enforcement, offices for corrections, offices for the judiciary, and, um, and public health. So here we are. They've, they've planned all this out for decades, doctor. Wow. I mean, that's... And, and you can see it. I mean, if you have eyes, you can see. And, and you can see that unusual things are happening. You, I, before right. I talk to you, the next like, this, this isn't right. No, it isn't right. And, and you're right, with eyes to see and ears to hear. And the, and the next shoe's dropping as we speak. I saw in the news yesterday that you know, now there's a, a Marburg breakout in Ghana, in Africa, and you see the, the press picking it up because the press are very much part of this, right? They, scaring people the is their control. Absolutely. And so that's what we're going to see is that we know these quarantine centers have already been built. We know the money was spent. We know where they are. And we have whistleblowers inside the government that are telling us that they're going to scare the hell out of everybody so that they run to these. And it makes perfect sense if you cut off the water supply, the food supply, the energy supply, um, but you have these self-sustaining quarantine centers and all of a sudden there's an outbreak of, of some contagious disease. Um, which, by the way, um, seems to mimic a, a zombie apocalypse of sorts, uh, especially when you include the 1P36 gene deletion. Um, people are going and, to run. That's their plan. And that nomenclature, the zombie apocalypse, wasn't there a CDC document that came out that specifically said for zombie yep. apocalypse? Yes, absolutely. Not just one, but many. The CDC on their website for five years or so had the zombie apocalypse preparedness page and nowhere on there. Did they say it was tongue in cheek? That was actually on their website last year. They actually turned it into, a, I think it was a 20 something page cartoon um, in a PDF. And at the very end of it, it says, oh, this is just hypothetical. Well, our government's been doing this hypothetical thing for a long time. In 2011, I would encourage you to look it up for yourself. Our military put together Con Plan 8888. Um, and what is that about? A zombie apocalypse. How many movies have we seen about it? Governments, uh, government agencies in the United States that are what are called NIMS compliant, National Infra Information uh, Management System, have all done their own zombie apocalypse preparedness training and exercises. They're, if you type it in on you know, any one of the, the websites, BitChute or whatever, you can see, type in zombie apocalypse, and you'll see that our military has been training with other military and law enforcement for a zombie apocalypse for for ages. So I take them at their word when they say they want to depopulate the planet and, you know, and do, that's what is happening right now. And if they say there's going to be a zombie apocalypse, I take them at the word. That's what they're planning. Right. And we should take people at their word because people yeah. like Osama bin Laden said exactly what he would do. And we did not take him at his word. And then we had two towers in New York City fall. So, so this is your bailiwick, doctor. 
you know, how is it? Why are we as a species, as humans, so unwilling to believe the obvious? Normalcy bias. Normalcy bias kicks in, and, and you see this. You see so many videos floating around of, like, self-defense situations where um, there's one in particular where this lady's standing away from her cart. Her back is to her cart. Her child's in the cart, and someone walks by and grabs her kid and walks away. And the, and the lady stands there, and the guy turns around holding the kid, and they just kind of stand there and look at each other. That's normalcy bias. When you don't know what to do because you're so disoriented by what just happened, you can't orient yourself to the situation at hand and you can't respond appropriately. Wow. And so like, and, and that's normalcy bias. You're like, oh, well, let me just, another example is, I think it was in 73, some, sometime in the seventies in New York city, where there was a woman who was brutally raped and murdered in the middle of the street. Everybody in the high rise buildings heard it happen and nobody called anything. Nobody called 911. Nobody did anything. No one went and helped her. That's normalcy bias. Oh, someone will do it. Or, oh, he's a nice guy. He couldn't really do that. Like, Fauci, he's such a nice guy. Yeah. If Mengele could do half of what he did, he'd be happy. Yeah, that's right. Complete with, um, you know, his HIV studies and a bunch of little black kids in New York. That, you know, he right. All this is Fauci's second run. He did a first run with, with HIV. Go do your research. Look it up. Don't take my word for it. Don't take Todd's word for it. This is his second run. His first run... He, he got the bugs out, and he deleted all the data, burnt the buildings that he did research in, so there's no more data left. He did that research in Africa. I mean, it's, it's ho- horrific what he's done. Yeah, yeah, he, he is a Mengele, uh, and I, I can't understand how it is that he's walking the streets. In fact, he, he seems to, to revel in his celebrity, and the only thing I can say about that is God hates hubris, so at some point he'll be stricken. Um, but okay, so normalcy bias is, it makes a lot of sense to me. So how do we get people out of that state? Because the only way we get out of this doctor is for the masses the, to, to understand this paradigm and refuse to, to go along with it. The, the governments need the consent of the governed, right? Because there's so few of them and so many of us. And if we just don't go along with the program, then what are they going to do about it? So how do we get right. to and that's- that point? That's, that's what we have to do. And, and one thing that we're really, really also fighting, and I think it may tie into that normalcy bias. Normalcy bias is like you and me, but let's say you and me as a group buy into an idea. That's that mass formation. Some people call it mass psychosis formation, but just mass formation where people begin to identify with this idea. And the idea is we got to stop COVID. And, and to go against that idea takes away their identity. Oh. And, and so we have to give people a new identity that allows them to connect with people, to build relationships. Because this particular mass formation, and, and I, this information I learned from uh, Adele Bigtree um, lecture where he had the man who came up with us, and the name is escaping me at the moment. Um, in the past, whenever there's been mass formation, people would get together, like the Nazis got together and they burned books. And so their identity was with other people and Nazism. Now we're in this unique place where people separate and separation is how they identify with it. And, and, and covering their face yeah. is how they identify with this and things like, you know, I think the man who, who, who is expounding on this idea, he said like some country, I can't some communist country, some woman turned in her adult son because he was going against the communist country and yeah. she was happy that he was put to death. Can you imagine being in a place where you turn in your adult son who's fighting the government because the government's doing wrong things and and you're happy and you feel self-righteous that your son gets killed because of what 
you did to turn them in. Are we so that's where we are. Are we so desperate for validation in our lives that, that that's where we go? Are we so desperate that it sounds to me what you're saying is wearing a mask is effectively virtue signaling to let everybody of around you know, hey, look at me. I'm noble. I'm wearing my mask. I'm doing my part. Um, right. Wow. That's exactly what it is. How do we undo that, Doctor? Do we need to come up with a, a better message? Or is, is exposing this enough? Can, is there going to get a point where there are so many bodies in the street the, from SADs or climate change deaths that the people are going to go, well, maybe there is more than just correlation. There's causation in relation to these shots. Well, and you have to kind of put yourself in the doctor's position, not my position, but the, the doctors that are pushing this. Imagine you're a doctor. You've told every patient you know that this is safe and effective. And now there's information yeah. coming out that, oh, I shouldn't have been using that word effective. And people are dying in the droves, but it's not enough really to just actually see the body stacking up in the street because we're getting them out and we're, we're doing those things. Um, but most people in normal society know someone who's been injured or killed yeah. by these things. And, and now you've recommended it to all of your patients, you've had yeah. your family get it, all of your, your wife, your kids, everybody get it. And now to say that, hey, this thing was great, and to make the admission that I just put a ticking time bomb in everyone I know, your brain will not permit you to see that. Yeah. I, I had heard a story some months ago, maybe six, eight months ago, that there was a German physician who actually came to this realization. I think he was a, an osteopath. Um, and he actually committed suicide. He couldn't, he couldn't live with himself knowing that that's what he did to others. And I'm wondering, is there ever a point where we get there? And, you know, from a criminal law point of view, you know, this is all international criminal law. This is the, the crimes against humanity provisions of international law came from the Nuremberg Code, whereby our military had a trial and, um, you know, we killed a couple of hundred Germans for their involvement in medical and physicians too, and physicians too, and, and so this is the point I think that you make is that there's also this culpability problem um, for physicians and politicians and heads of school board, you know, requiring these things. Those are actually capital offenses. So how do we get to a point in society where we say, okay, we're going to have to come up with a new matrix here in order to to adjudicate th these crimes against humanity? Um, where there, there would have to be some level of intentional causation or not, because otherwise everybody that had anything to do with this is going to be hung. And that's, you know, frankly, most of the planet, at least most of the government on this planet, of every government on this planet. And that's an interesting point, because if you look at, uh, was it Uganda and the Hutsi and the Hutu, or probably saying that wrong, um, you had neighbor pulling neighbor out of house and killing them in the street. And then somehow they were able to reconcile. Uh, now it certainly takes Jesus yeah. uh, for that reconciliation to happen, for to give the forgiveness, to accept the forgiveness, to actually live together. Um, that's going to be very difficult for most people. Um, but I would say anybody that's out there right now at this moment, if you hear what we just said and, and you're fearful of Nuremberg trial someday, which you should be, you very well should be. Now is the time to move against what you've been doing, to, to join the side of freedom. Right now is the time. Good. Because you can say, look, I, I didn't know then, but as soon as I knew, I ch this is just like uh, Saul, who became Paul. Saul was killing Christians. Yeah. And then God made him one of the strongest instruments to, say, to make Christians. Very good. Yeah, I, I... And we need people to, to, to have that road on, on Damascus where they, they, they see the light and they change their direction. They pivot and change. Yeah. 
I, I really appreciate that. That's exactly the right thing. And, and what you said is also true. This is a spiritual war, doctor. This is really the end, good versus evil, God versus Lucifer. And I think it's our job. What we're doing now is trying to bring as many people as we can to, to truth, to, to build that relationship with your creator. Because if you don't and this all ends, then you're on the losing side. Um, and if you can find salvation, uh, now would be the time to do it. And just what you said, forgive. Um, forgive others. I worry about the parents who the, believe they were doing the right thing by giving their kids these shots, even though they should have known better. They're going to have to reconcile and confront that truth at some point. That they killed their own kids because people that got three or more of these shots are walking dead. Maybe that's something worth also doing, Doctor. If you've got ideas, how is it that, that people who have had the shots or gave them to their kids, how can they improve the situation, their situation and the situation of their kids? Well, at first, I would encourage you, whatever fuel you put into your machine, you know, you want the best fuel for peak performance. I've talked about diet many, many times. I would encourage you to go look at those those resources that the, the lectures and, and the series that I put out on, on that. They usually start with a title or have it somewhere in there, Chewing the Fat. I would also strongly encourage every listener to go to truthforhealth.org. That's truth and then the word for health.org. That's an organization um, by Dr. Valit. And she has done many things. She has some protocols to help people with COVID, protocols to help people with long COVID. Um, she's got a list of doctors that are willing to prescribe ivermectin, which can help with some long COVID or post-vaccination um, symptoms. And she has begun a civilian VAERS equivalent. So if you've had injury from this vaccine or any vaccine, please put it in there. It's much more simple to use that system. And, and, I, and you're working with her as well as I am. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I am. And I've been asking her um, to look into, you know, how do we help the people that have already gotten the shots? And in my understanding, you know, again, I'm, I'm a lawyer, not a doctor. The, the three components are very important. She talks about NAC. Um, I don't remember exactly what NAC stands for. You would. Um, glutathione. In a, in a system. There you go. That's the one. Glutathione and um, chlorine dioxide. The chlorine dioxide right. one I do know because it cured my cancer in 30 days, and I'm a huge proponent of it. But if, if those things can help people recover, then, my God, we've got to get That's amazing. on that. And, and again, just to kind of echo what you said, uh, I, can't, I cannot recommend chlorine dioxide as a treatment for anything because I'd like to keep my license because the FDA will come after me, which should be enough evidence for you, the listener viewer, <laughs> to go look into it. Uh, anything the FDA doesn't want you to do, you should at least go research it. And Dr. Valit has many good resources to learn about chlorine dioxide. I'm just talking about my own experience. You know, I, um, I was having a joint replacement and I had already had staff. Uh, and I did some research and found this really to treat the staff. In my pre-operation, the doctors picked up the cancer that I knew that I had. And they, uh, they said, you know, you're going to have to deal with this after we're done with your replacement. And so anyway, I took the, the chlorine dioxide to kill the staph infection. And the next day I woke up and I, I couldn't believe how well I, I was like a young kid again. And, um, and anyway, as the, 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 the symptoms subsided from my use of this, by the time I went back from my post-operative examination, the cancer was gone. I knew it was gone. I felt it leave my body. And the only thing that had changed differently in that whole course of 30 days was the use of chlorine dioxide to kill the staph. And apparently it killed a whole lot of other things, too. Do you mind if, uh, sharing what type of cancer you had? Yeah, I had bladder cancer. Wow. Yeah. So aggressive, not, not unusual for guys yeah. my age. 
that use tobacco historically, um, you know, it, it comes. And so anyway, I knew I had it. All the symptoms were there. But I didn't want to. I didn't want to confront it for, I guess, the same reasons you're talking about normalcy bias. Um, so I was really just trying to get through my joint replacement, um, and I just didn't want to, to have a staph infection in, in the joint. Little did I know. Um, and here I am, many, many years later, uh, and I have. This is the healthiest I've been in my life. So I use it fairly routinely. That's, that's the thing about bladder cancer for the listener, is if you catch it early. It's not a big deal. Like go in there and blast it with a laser. If you don't catch it very early, it's not good. It's it's very very bad. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's where that's where I was, and and like I said, the only thing that was different in my life was was the use of of that. And since that point in time, family members of mine have used it um, to treat MS. Believe it or not, lupus, all kinds of maladies. Um, it, it's really remarkable. And what you said is also true. The FDA doesn't want people knowing about this. They're actually prosecuting extraterritorially a pastor down in Colombia who was giving it out to his parishioners for free, um, and, and they wanted to stop him and shut him up. So they actually um, had him remotely, extraterritorially arrested, and there he sits in jail, not even extradited, just shut up. That's our government at work. And That's our FDA at work. To kind of further this idea, if the FDA doesn't want you to know about it, then you should look into it is ivermectin. I've done some research into ivermectin and they're thinking it might cure cancer, colon cancer, other cancers. Yes. No wonder they I've want to that. suppress it and hide it because they don't really care yeah. about your health. <laughs> no, they, they do. They care a lot about your health, that you become annuitized income, that you, you have sickness and maladies throughout your life so they can uh, provide drugs, treatments. You know, that, I think that's their role. We, we can see now where the FDA is so in bed with a big pharma like Pfizer, where the executives just go between regula regulator to, to board member back and forth. And, and now the FDA voted, what was it, last week or the week before? We don't even need to know what the contents of the shots are anymore. We're happy with this mRNA technology. And, and you can put whatever kind of gene modification things in there you want to. And we won't ask. We, we don't want to know. I mean, they, for instance, in, in the case of the, the trial C45-1001, the FDA said, you know, we don't want to know about pregnant ladies. There were 82% of the people in that trial had a serious adverse event, and a bunch of them died. The FDA didn't want to know about it. Why? Are, are they financially interested in the outcome? And the answer is yes. Right. And if you don't ask, you don't know. And if you don't know what to look for, you'll never find. That's right. So anyway, you know, the FDA is a defendant. In, uh, in the lawsuit I brought, as is Health and Human Services um, and the Department of Defense. And I, I worry as to whether or not you know, we're going to get our day in court because the issues are so grand. And we have all of the evidence, doctor. Um, you've been an expert witness. I have many other affiants as expert witnesses. There's no question as to the facts that we can present. And yet we can't seem to get our day in court. So I'm hoping that as part of this overcoming the normalcy bias or, or this grand conspiracy, because that's what it is. It's a, it's a criminal enterprise that people will understand that this is really about depopulation, the genocide of our species. It's an extinction level event. And if those judges don't understand, they are also, you know, part, they're doomed. Their families are doomed because this is really designed to take us all out. And I'm hoping that they'll find the courage to switch sides. One thing that 
Um, I propose this question to you, and I've been thinking about it a lot. And I, I don't know if you have an answer, and I, I certainly still don't. But I want to propose this to the listener and the viewer. How would you stop Andrew Jackson? And if you know about Andrew Jackson, he was a president way back when. And the courts told him you cannot remove the Native Americans from their, their reservations. And he said, okay, that's what you rule. Stop me. And he, that's when we had the Trail of Tears. Yeah. So how do we prevent that from happening? Because even if we do get our day in court. Yeah. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. And what it boils down to is, is really enforcement, right? Laws don't mean anything unless they're enforced. So one of the reasons why I actually filed suit against the DOD is because I understood very early on, having been in the vaccine business with these very same monsters that are behind it now, um, all the way back in the 1990s, I understood that this was going to become compulsory. They simply started with the DOD. And um, if they could ma mandate our, our defense, our military, to take these shots, it was only a function of time before they rolled it out to the, the rest of humanity and forced the shots on everybody. So I actually sued on the basis that not only trying to stop it, I actually didn't have great faith that we would get a, a court to stop it. I did it because I wanted to educate the people in uniform that this is illegal, this is a genocide, and you have a choice to make. Do you, do you work for the citizens of the United States or do you work for the sitting president? You know, your oath of office was to what? The Constitution or to this politician over here? And believe it or not, that seems to have resonated and worked. We've had hundreds of thousands of service members who've refused the shots. We have hundreds of thousands now who won't get a second or a third shot. Um, the military is now actually looking at this uh, again, saying, you know, maybe this was not the right choice because we've got so many service members that are leaving um, that we don't have this force readiness. They talk about, so my point in this is we need to further educate those who would be tasked with enforcing these laws. Whether that's people in uniform, meaning you know, your sheriff's deputies or, or police officers, or whether that's the military itself. We know that the WHO is going to force these shots on humanity by and through this public health pandemic. The next one's Marburg for sure. It's happening right now. Those in uniform need to make a decision. Do I work for the WHO? Am I going to provide these deadly shots you know, to, to my fellow citizens, my family, my friends? We have to develop that relationship. As much as you develop a relationship with God, we've got to develop a relationship with those in uniform, whether it's law enforcement or military, because without enforcement, there is no law. And you look in Canada, and here's a really good example. Back when the truckers were in Ottawa, the local police wouldn't do anything about it. They weren't breaking any laws. And you see the, the local police were having barbecues with the citizens. They're getting along great. So what happened is the, the, uh, the mayor of Ottawa, under the Safe Cities Initiative, called in mercenaries from the United Nations. Four C-141s painted in white showed up. Next thing you know, these guys are in police uniforms, you know, running over old ladies with a horse and beating the hell out of people. Those are foreign troops. The same thing will happen here. The WHO will call out their, their mercenaries and force people to get these shots, and it will be our people, our people in uniform, police and military, who are going to have to make a decision. Do I want to aid and abet this genocide with these mercenaries, or am I going to stand against them to protect my citizens, my family, my friends, my, my you know, churchgoers? What, that, that decision is a personal one. It's a human decision. And if we can give them the information, doctor, I think we can take a stand as, as human, humanity itself in every country around the world 
and say, no, we're, we're not going to be governed in this fashion. Um, and we remove the consent to being governed. And if we do that, we invalidate what they're doing. It just has to be done en masse. One thing I want to comment on is you had mentioned there are some people that got one shot and didn't get another shot. Right. Let's say you've got one or two shots and you don't want to get a third shot. And and the argument used against you as a service member will be, well, you got this one or you, or you got vaccines in the past. And an argument that I would like for you to use or to maybe pull from to use is, hey, if you raped me on Thursday, that doesn't mean you have the right to rape me on Friday. Beautiful. That's right. And, there's no and and use that word rape because that will shock their system and they'll back off quick. It's what it is. Because that's exactly what it is. They are penetrating your body without your permission. That's rape. That's exactly right. And, and you know, the other argument is this. Um, that is that the first shot made me into a disabled person. Any malady lasting for six months or more, by definition, under the Americans with Disabilities Act, is in fact a disability. The disabled um, and the indigenous have superior rights to every other population on this planet. It's in um, every country has the exact same law by virtue of UN regulation. And I've used the uh, disability exemption throughout the military with great success. So if you've had the shot, you are now disabled, you are entitled to the rights of the disabled. And for military people, it's actually under the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. Um, and we've had a great amount of success with that because if you're disabled and your commanding officer or your employer uh, mandates the shots, that's discrimination. And the EEOC, Equal Opportunity uh, Employment Commission, has an obligation to actually investigate and administratively prosecute those people that are doing it. And that's the reason why we've had the luck. Commanding officers in the military have decided they didn't want to suffer a fine, a personal fine for um, discriminating against a disabled person. So there are tools to do this. Thank you for today. I'm sorry I, I'm running out of time for today. Yeah, I truly any... appreciate every conversation that I get to have with you. <laughs> Likewise. And I, I hope to meet you someday. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to make that happen, Doctor. You know, thank you. You've, you've been at the very front of this thing from the very beginning. I think you were the first person to, to volunteer to help in our case. So the, the thanks is really to you, Doctor. I sure appreciate it. Well, no, thank, and thank you for all you're doing. You bet. And 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 thank you for helping me and and all the listeners and the viewers to make courage more contagious than fear there you go good let's do that god bless doc